This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lieber Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 131. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Joe. And this is Stella. And we are bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of February 2nd through February 15th. We have a total of five books to cover and a very small amount of news, so let's just jump straight into news. What's going down? The only thing we really have to report as far as news goes is that uh, on February 5th, Bleeding Cool posted up on their website that the solicitation for Catwoman number 29 for March had been amended to change the writer Anne Ocenti to a different writer, Sholly Fish, as well as uh, change the actual description of what the issue is. The original description had had Selena Kyle going into uh, a race of the outlaws, which I'm guessing was supposed to be an ongoing story arc, uh, considering the considering the solicitation for issue number thirty, which also released, also showed it was also part of this race of the outlaws. Well, the new solicitation that Bleeding Cools reporting says in this story, Catwoman goes undercover via Gotham City's high society when she's recruited to infiltrate Wayne Tech. But what or who is lurking within? Now, the weird thing about this report that Bleeding Cool posted up, if uh, I'm not real sure where they got this new solicitation, because um, when you go to DC's official website and look at the solicitation for 29, it still says the exact same thing. still says that it's written by Ann Nocenti, as well as issue number 30 still being written by Ann Nocenti. So I'm not real sure where they got it. They didn't provide any sort of link to show where the information changed from. So as far as Ann Nocenti on the book, you know, uh, we, haven't, we haven't been covering Catwoman here on this podcast uh, we've been covering on the Point Five cast, uh, and it's been a couple months since obviously we've had an episode of the Point Five cast. But Innocenti on Catwoman, I will just say that uh, Ed and myself were not a big fan <laughs> of what was going on in that book. And uh, you know, bringing in a new writer, I'm okay with it. Now, I, I have high doubts that the any sort of backlash to Innocenti being taken off the book would happen similar to what happened when Gail Simone was taken off the book, uh, taken off of Batgirl back in late 2012. Um, I doubt anything like that would happen, specifically because Innocenti doesn't really have the following, one, that Gail Simone has, and two, I don't really think anybody's enjoying Catwoman at this point, written by Innocenti. Um, that's not saying that Innocenti's a bad writer by any means, but I think that, for the most part, the the book has just been stagnant, and I know sales have been dropping month after month. And maybe the the idea is that they're going to try to freshen it up by bringing on a new writer. Now, Charlie Fish, he's he's been known to originally he did some um, backups in action comics years ago when Grant Morrison was on the title. Um, he also recently within the Batman universe, he was the writer behind the all new Batman: The Brave and the Bold. So uh, he he obviously knows what he what 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 would need to happen within the Batman universe, but at the same time he also has a very different style to the way he writes stuff. Um, 
I wouldn't say it's necessarily more kid-friendly. It's just the titles that he's recently been linked to have been more kid-friendly. But um, I, I also he also recently was also attached to the Scooby-Doo series, the Scooby-Doo and Batman team-up series that launched back in November. I'm not opposed to a new writer on Catwoman. Honestly, I'd like to see the title have a little bit of a change, especially with the events that transpired in Batman number 28 that we'll talk about in a little bit. The the for the future of the Batman universe has Catwoman as Gotham's uh, basically Gotham's underworld kingpin and Gotham's the new penguin basically yeah pretty much and the way she's being portrayed in her own series there's no way that that character could be it or the the stories that are being told in the pages of Catwoman can actually coincide with what Scott Snyder and James Tynion and the other writers that are attached to Batman Eternal have in store for Catwoman. There's absolutely no way of what's being shown in Catwoman can translate to the pages of Batman Eternal. So bringing in a new writer, I'm completely okay with that. Um, it'll just be interesting to see if this actually plays out as Bleeding Cool is reporting compared to what DC still has posted on their website. Yeah, I haven't <clears throat> I haven't read Catwoman since we dropped it. But um, if this is true and, and Shirley Fish does... Uh, join the title, I would be interested in reading it because, like you said, he's done some sort of kid-friendly stuff, and it's not that he's writing for kids necessarily, but he's got that ability to sort of balance fun as well as good storytelling and some of the stories he wrote in the backups of action were actually really like heartwarming and and nice to read, so hopefully he can do a good job if he does end up coming to Catwoman. Yeah, I don't have too much to, to say about this because I haven't been reading the Catwoman title, but you know, I guess since we're in this new 52 and, and all of the titles are, you know, more mature and, and darker, it I don't know if that's the route that, you know, this, this writer's going to take. But when you were, you know, saying the things that he's been on, I think that'd be awesome to get back sort of into the, the, the more fun and lively and entertaining Catwoman that we've seen, you know, in Gotham City Sirens and, and other places. And I think that to breathe fresh life into the character is something... Um, I think that readers and fans would really appreciate. So that'd be great if he could take his, you know, his writing style and really put it to Catwoman rather than forming to, you know, what is already in place. All right. And with that, that is actually all of the news we have. We're going to jump straight into our books. And the very first book we're going to do is Nightwing number 28. Oracle, the plane. Show Batman. I sent up a flare. Robin's on his way. Maybe you didn't get the memo, Oracle, but I've been going by Nightwing for, oh, about a decade or so. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I can't remember that. Nightwing number 28, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Russell Dotterman. The issue starts off with Batgirl tackling and strangling Dick Grayson slash Nightwing on, uh, off a building onto the uh the, the, the ground floor of Chicago. We find out it's not actually Batgirl. Instead, it's a villain by the name of... Spinebinder, um, he basically distorts himself. It turns out that uh, Dick Grayson states that he's had a run-in with this character before, yet we've never actually seen it. This character is basically a shapeshifter, and he's come to come after Nightwing specifically because uh, he knows that he's about to become a bunch of shards, and he wants to take Nightwing out for that very reason. After we see some shapeshifting into Deathstroke and Superman, uh, we find out that uh, 
Dick Grayson takes this guy out right as he's about to explode. We then cut to a uh, the correctional facility where Tony Zuko is being held, where he's having a conversation with his daughter, Sonia Branch. And after he explains all of this stuff, basically how the case might be dropped, she states that she's going to do everything in her power to make sure that uh, he stays in jail. Uh, he then is not very pleased with this, but she's she basically says it doesn't matter how you've changed or anything you've done because you still killed the Graysons. She leaves. Uh, we then go to the front of Dick Grayson's apartment building where uh, Jen and her parents are leaving. They have a conversation about a bunch of different things about how her parents are trying to tell her that she needs to slow down and not grow up so fast. They say they're off to see a improv trope in town. Uh, nothing is actually said at all about the fact that Jen knows Dick's secret. We then see Dick watch at the bar watching a video of him going against Spinebender. And Michael's explaining, you know, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand how someone could have this great of footage when enters the bar Sonia Branch. Uh, Sonia Branch enters the bar. She asks to speak to Dick. They basically have some relationship closure where she basically says, I'm sorry for everything that's happened. He says he's sorry, too. Uh, she says uh, that she is she sold her or She got kicked out of her job at the bank because of all of the media circus around what happened with her dad. He said he apologizes and she says, take care of yourself. And he basically thinks to himself that he feels bad for her. Uh, we then go back to the uh, apartment building. Dick comes home and sees Joey crying. Um, as it turns out, Jen's parents were murdered on the way to the improv show that they were going to see. And Dick is realizing that this is a very situa very similar situation to what he was in originally when his parents died too. Um, he then talks to Jen only to find out that she reveals that he knows his secret and that she wants his help to take out the person who killed her parents. Uh, Michael, he, he leaves the room very abruptly trying to figure out what to do next. When Michael tells him, you know, it's great that uh, she has someone who knows exactly what she's, or who knows exactly how she feels around. Well, as it turns out, um, Dick is actually, uh, looks around for her and she's actually missing um, we, they, then the three of them, Joey, Michael, and Dick all decide that, uh, she must be going after this, uh, person who killed her parents. And, uh, it's revealed that she stole Dick's uniform out of his, his, uh, bedroom. And, uh, they reveal that the person who killed her parents was Mr. Zaz. Next issue, the end. All right. Nightwing number 28. All right, so this was an interesting issue specifically because we see a lot of closure with a lot of different events that have been happening with inside the book since Kyle Higgins has been on the book since the beginning. We see some closure with Sonya Branch. Um, we see we, we we're, le we're leading into the closure of what is going to happen with Jen as well as Mr. Zaz leading to why Dick goes back to Gotham. As we know, that's going to happen in the next issue. He's going to deal with Mr. Zaz. So the first thing I want to talk about is Sonya Branch, um, her having the discussion with her father and her coming to see Dick and really having some closure to the two of them having any some any sort of relationship. Do you think that uh, we needed to see this, number one, and if we did need to see it, do you think it was done properly? I, I did like that they addressed the Zuko thing again, just so that they didn't leave it, you know, with no 
mention of it happening. And I can understand her reaction uh, to her father. And I, I then liked her interaction with Dick. And um, I thought that was a really nice scene with them at the bar where he works. Yeah, I, I think that at the very least, I think there needed to be a scene between Sonya and her father. Uh, because for him to come out of the woodwork... And, uh, you know, to have her just sort of exist but never talk to him about it or, or confront him, I think would be – there'd be something a little off. I mean, I did somewhat forget that she existed until this popped up. So I guess me as like this negligent reader would, would not have noticed anything. But I think it was a really fitting scene. And I also liked the, the bar scene, just that they did have this sort of closure. Uh, what's, what's a bit of a bummer for me, though, is that um, – even though there is a sense of closure there, I think it also would have opened up an avenue for the future. And so to think that um, this is basically the end of this book, uh, I mean, where do they go from there and, and sort of their friendship, really, it's not going to go any place. So both are really good scenes. I think that, yes, they needed to be addressed, and I think that they were well done. Yeah, I think for the most part, I, I do like the the sort of closure that we're getting, but in some ways it's it is a little odd, as you said, Stella. I don't know that, you know, for the most part she's been MIA since he left Gotham, which was a decent time ago, and we haven't seen or heard anything about her. So for her to come to Chicago just to t- basically talk to her father to tell him you're stuck here forever because I'm going to make sure you stay here forever. That really didn't make a lot of sense because I'm not sure why she would need any sort of closure with her father. The weird thing about it is, you know, he's uh, Tony Zuko makes that comment about, well, it's a long shot, but my lawyer thinks that we can get the case thrown out. You know, there was that whole point that was made in that last issue that he was in where the mob attorney comes to him and says, listen, if you come back to us, uh, we'll get you out of here. And obviously, there maybe that was leading into an idea that Higgins had at some point for the title. But that's probably not likely to happen, specifically because the series is ending. So they're just trying to wrap that up so it's not just hanging out there in in the uh, open air of the DC Universe. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing is I, I like the fact that the there was a little bit of closure between the two of them. Um, we never really got any before he left for Chicago from Gotham City with her. Um, it was always this odd situation between the two of them. So I think that it was kind of nice that that happened in this issue, um, even if it was very, very just abrupt and basically, hey, I'm here to say sorry and I'm leaving and my life sucks now. So <laughs> I hope you feel bad for me, which he did. All right. So the next thing I want to talk about is Jen. Um, her parents died. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, we, we talked about this the last issue when we reviewed the last issue when she found out um, he was uh, Dick was Nightwing. We, we talked about what could possibly happen in the issue going forward uh, for her to, you know, really deal with that. Obviously, her parents dying is a very is a very big extreme. Why is Oz is in Chicago? Who knows? Um why, you know, of all people, of course, you know, it's just one of those things that happenstances happens in the comics where, of course, the one person who's going to be involved with Dick Grayson is going to have their parents killed. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I think it's interesting. I, I liked how they, they showed the uh, the comparisons between Dick and her and even Michael throwing out there, you know, it's it's good that you had 
you know, it's good that she has someone who knows exactly what she, what she's going through. Um, but for the most part, obviously, Dick is not really he, he doesn't really help this situation by basically putting himself in a situation where now she has left and she's stole his uniform. She's going to go after Zaz. So do you think that uh, it, it worked the way it was shown? I really enjoyed the first half of the book up until that scene when Dick returns home and finds a weeping Joey. I think it's because it was such a, like a, a drastic change. It was so quick. I was I was enjoying the book because it again I, I keep referring to this thing about like I like the books to be fun and the book felt fun. The art helped that as well because it's a slightly more cartoony style, which I think this book has always needed. Um, and then we get to that scene and it was just such a drastic change. It was so quick because we've seen references and we sort of seen the parents a bit, but this was the first introduction to them. And it was almost like, oh, well, this has got to have some kind of impact or no one will care. So, you know, we'll have a couple of pages of dialogue between them and this will be nice. And then, you know, they just die instantly. And I think Dick's reaction to it was good. The kind of, you know, I've been through this. I need to help, but still not sure what to do because, you know, there's there's no way to console someone in that situation, mm-hmm. even if you've been through it. So I, I did like that aspect. But her, and I guess I can kind of see, because I think it's been shown like Bruce and Dick were a bit like that when it's kind of, you know, I want to get out there and and find this person who did this and hurt them. And maybe it was driven more by the fact that, you know, she knows this person who can help her and get directly to him. But it was such a, like... There was no tears in her eyes. It was like, I want to go and get this guy. I didn't tell the police or anything. It was, it's, I didn't like that aspect. But I, so I can kind of see some, it's just, I think it really feels like too much has been compressed into something and there's no emotion in it. And it's really kind of like bang, 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 story point, story point. Let's get this over with before we get cancelled type thing. I totally agree with with Joe, at least, that it felt a little weird, the fact that we're going to kill this girl's parents off so that we can have this sort of forced uh, comparison relationship, whatever you want to call it, with Dick Grayson. Um, so in that way, I thought it was just forced, like, oh, my gosh, you know, yes, of course, this is going to happen. And, and I didn't really like it as much. However, it was handled very well. Um, which I, I don't know if that's like hypocritical to say, but I think everything that went around, uh, how, how everything was delivered, the art, I loved the art in this issue. I don't know why it felt like so new and fresh for me, but I, I just loved how it was. Um, I, I love the artist style and everything. And that one panel where Dick comes home and sees that and he like sees the girl kind of turned away from, you know, the parents and everyone talking. And then he reflects back on his, you know, his younger self and and how he was uh, when he first found out about that. I just love that panel, that side by side there. Um I kind of, uh, I, I was thinking, you know, as Joe was talking, would that girl, you know, have, have tears in her eyes? And, and I wasn't, I wasn't sure about it because, you know, I think, well, Dick Grayson, you know, and he found out about everything and it sort of, he went up, uh, to Batman. What was Bruce Wayne like as a little boy? And, you know, I, I did, I always have to go over there, you know, Peter Parker land and, and what was he like? And I guess, yeah, you would kind of have tears in your eyes, even though there would be this deep resolve that I'm going to get this guy back. Um, so, I mean, maybe she's just a completely different creature, uh, kind of girl that, <laughs> uh, she's just more hateful and, and, and less 
full of fear and sadness now, and she's ready to take this on. Was this the way I, I saw it going? You know, Zaz all of a sudden comes over. I guess he thought, you know, Gotham City's not the place for me. I'm going to come over to Chicago. Not necessarily. Um, I didn't think there was going to be a tragedy ensuing, but I guess, you know, from Batman Beyond to everything, this is how it all starts. But is this just going to be like a one-shot kind of thing where, where Jen puts on this little this made-up costume and then Nightwing finds her, he also gets Zaz somehow, and that's like the end of it? Or are we going to start this new tale of of this young superhero, which I kind of doubt, but um, it almost seems like we're starting something up that could be really great, but it is, just like you said, Dustin, it's going to really just push towards the end and, and be done. Yeah, I don't think, uh, obviously, it's, it's, it's a lo- it is a giant long shot for her to you know, become sort some sort of sidekick or anything, because ultimately, probably what's going to happen is knowing where the direction of the book is going. That Dick Grayson is going to die, at, or not die, but be revealed and possibly be killed off at the end of Forever Evil, even if it is just fake being killed off. Once his his uh, once his identity is revealed to everyone, I don't really think it's going to matter whether this one girl knows or not. It won't make any difference. Um, he's not going to be in Chicago once he is revealed after Forever Evil, which will take place in Nightwing number 30. So having this girl know who he is, I don't really think is that big of a deal one way or the other. Um, her becoming any some, any sort of sidekick, well, that's not going to happen because Nightwing will be no more after the end of the title. Um, the other aspect of it is I do think it's kind of weird that, you know, the last story we had, we had Mad Hatter go from Gotham City to... Chicago. Now we have Zaz go from Gotham City to Chicago. Now I'm not saying that you can't have Batman villains. I just think it's weird that the the idea was to take Nightwing out of Gotham City so he wasn't linked to the Bat family. Yet for whatever reason we have to pop in these villains that would almost never be outside of Gotham City. It's just a little odd to me. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, because in some ways it's nice to have some connection to the Batman universe, even if it is just a villain appearing. Mm -hmm. But the other aspect, which we'll get into probably next month when we read issue 29, is why of all places does, does Zaz have to go all the way back to Arkham Asylum in Gotham City? That's just another little convenience to make it work as to why Dick Grayson ends up back in Gotham City. Um, I, I can't imagine Arkham Asylum is the only place in the entire U.S. that could hold somebody, considering Zaz is, is, is yeah, he's, he's insane and he's a murderer, but he doesn't have any sort of powers or anything, so it's not like they need some special self to hold him. But we'll get into that next month. All right, so Nightwing number 28, I'm going to give a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings. I'll give Nightwing number 28 a 3 out of 5 batterings. I, I just thought it, it was just a really great um, issue. And uh, just like my friend Kevin, who who loves Nightwing, was saying to me, you know, it just gives you hope of what Higgins could be continuing on with. So it's kind of sad to think that it's it's almost coming to an end. But I give this a, a 4 out of 5. And then over on the website, Josh Clayton gave it 4.5 out of 5 batterings. That's going to give Nightwing number 28 a total of 3.5 out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Forever Evil Arkham War, number five. I've got some reckoning. Here to end the borrowed time you've all been living on. Forever Evil Arkham War, number five, written by Peter J. Tomasi with art by Scott Eaton. The issue opens on the East Gotham shoreline with Gordon conducting the Blackgate escapees to Rota's safety. 
We then cut to the city where a war is waging between Bane's army and the towns. The battle is disrupted by Bane himself, however, when he attempts to take on the whole town army at once by himself. He puts up a good fight, but is beaten to the floor. At that moment, however, Cobb swings down from the rooftops with a helicopter blade in the deadliest Home Alone trap ever built, as he cuts every town in half at the waist. We then cut to Scarecrow in Arkham Asylum. Nervous that the Talons haven't returned, he resorts to his plan B. Scarecrow is entertaining Gotham's rogues over a glass of wine, explaining how he gathered a sample of Maine's blood, has synthesised venom, which they will use to take him down. Assuming that it's in their drinks, the group become furious, but Scarecrow explains that their wine is untainted. It's the air that they're breathing that they should worry about, as they all begin to transform. Uh, the main thing I wanted to... Uh, was wondering about was um after his deceit do you think the other villains would trust scarecrow or would they kind of make the best of the situation and then get their revenge afterwards it depends because i think the the problem is that we've had we've seen in the pages that there's that scarecrow has been doing a lot of things with these toxins mixing them together and and things like that where we don't know you know maybe there's some sort of control element of it too we don't know if he's actually not only making them venomized, but also controlling them as well. So it's hard to say exactly what the plan is. I would assume that these villains would be pretty pissed Mm -hmm. that Scarecrow did this, but at the same time, I think that they are still all together by, you know, all together united to try to take Bane out. So I think that might be the ultimate first goal. Hey man, that old adage certainly rings true. Just, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on you. And I think like this is, no matter what happens after this, uh, and whether they need to trust him or not, they're going to be really upset. And I, I think when push comes to shove, they're they're going to choose potentially the the lesser of two evils. Um, of course, I feel like coming back after this transformation is going to leave them uh, pretty messed up. So I'm interested to see what happens. But uh, personally, I would not. Um, I, I wouldn't trust him again. And I think it's going to depend on each individual character. But some of them. I think are are smarter than others. I mean, Professor Pig. I mean, I, I wouldn't double cross him or or other people. I'm I'm a little shocked. Ivy, like, changed at all actually because like I feel like she would have some sort of immunity to this toxin. Um, but maybe I guess we should just accept that. But I just feel like she, she always brags that um, I'm immune to basically every sort of toxin and and poison. So I don't know why she's getting transformed by this, but guess we'll find out maybe that's a really good point um because you don't see her in the end image and i was wondering what that would actually look like because yeah. i don't know if you've ever seen a a female character get transformed <laughs> by venom but right. you're right i wonder if that will actually will take effect um the other this is probably a smaller point but after what uh cobb did can we assume that all the talons are dead now because i know they've got regeneration powers but like once you've been cut in half it's pretty hard to cut like walk away from that i thought about that too because Cobb he made a point when he, he was literally talking to the talons after he cut them in half he said because of this and your regenerative powers should allow you to no longer be under the control of uh of scarecrow he, he you know he said that but i'm thinking to myself okay i thought the whole point was the only way you could stop a talon was to chop their head off I thought that was the whole thing in the Court of Owls story was, or I, I should say the Knight of Owls story was either you had to freeze them or you had to cut their head off and they weren't going to cut any heads off, so they had to freeze them. 
I thought that was the whole point. So slicing them in half, I mean, there was literally, and I have to say that 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 scene where the the chopper blade comes down and they're all getting chopped up, that was a very very messy scene. Yeah. I I mean, I, I'm not saying like it was gory. I'm saying it was, it was to, messy. Yeah, it was like I couldn't figure out what the heck mm-hmm. was going on until it was described in the words in the following panel what just happened. And then I was like, oh, okay, uh, that was not a very good way of portraying it, but whatever. I think that, I, I don't, see, the problem is we don't know the extent of their regenerative powers. That's the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. We don't know if they can actually, you know, if their regenerative powers are like lizards where they can create a, an entire new limb or whatnot. I would imagine that if a lizard got chopped in half, he can't grow back his half of his entire body. So I don't really understand. I, I think the problem is that they're going a little bit above and beyond the possibility of what their regenerative powers can do. Uh, regenerative power, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't even know enough about Wolverine to know whether or not he could regrow his entire arm if it got chopped off. So, uh, you know, I, I think that it's a stretch. I'm, I, I think that the, like, I, I'm not, the other thing that I'm not real sure about is why it was so a necessity to have that converse or why, why that, that, monologue had to happen by Cobb where he was like you're no longer under the power because of this and this and this and it's like okay why couldn't they just get chopped up in half why why do we have to be explained why this is happening I guess the only reason why is because now the Talons will then side with Bane to go against the Venomized villains that's the only thing I can think of I'm also thinking that it's not really regeneration uh, but I feel like they're not going to grow back a limb. And, and to just to go off like your your Wolverine thing, uh, I think if his arm were to grow off, or sorry, if his arm were to be chopped off, he would pick up that arm, put it back where it should be attached, and it would reattach itself, but it wouldn't like regrow. Because he's been like in fire, and, and all that has remained has been his skeleton. And then like you see in the panel like his, his muscles, his sinews, like the, the skin, the hair, it's all regrowing back. So there has to be something there in order to reattach itself. It can't just like grow from nothing like a wizard's tail, which was a good uh, simile to use there. So I feel like even though they're chopped in half, like their two pieces have to be somehow connected uh, back to each other. And then I just kind of like imagine like Venom, like just kind of like reattaching and then they get back. Uh, I actually liked sort of the explanation and a voiceover from Cobb because I feel like because it's such a detrimental and violent uh, separation that all of the Mad Hatter and, and Scarecrow, all of that stuff is going to be like seeped out because the body really is going to have to work together to be put back together. And so all the toxins and stuff are gone and they're going to be of that same person because I think if they were to all of a sudden like – Okay, they're cut in half. Next issue, they're all on Bane's side, and then we've got to go back and like explain, well, how did that all happen? I think I much prefer having it in the moment explain why is Cobb doing this right now rather than have like a, okay, ju- let's just tell you right now, readers, that this is what happened. This is all science. So uh, for my part, I, I think um, I agree that it was a messy scene Kunto was going on. I just kind of took Cobb's word for it, but I, I did like that he had a, a voiceover and explained it to me. I, I like your kind of explanations, and I think that um, you're right in saying that that little monologue was probably just so that we're not thinking, oh, well, they're just going to regenerate and come back after Bane or anything like that. Um, I think that out of everything, this is a, a good use of the talents and the Court of Owls, especially that 
they explained they had to control them. It wasn't just them doing their bidding out of like for no reason. Um, so I think they were used effectively, and I don't think this will be the end of them. But if they continue to be used in this kind of way, I wouldn't mind them cropping up every now and then, as long as it's not you know like you know penguin status. All right. So Forever Evil Arkham War number five, which. For some reason, I thought this was the last issue, and it's not. I was kind of disappointed <laughs> by finding out that there's still one more yeah. issue of this. Uh, Forever Evil Arkham War number five, I'm going to give a total of two out of five batterings. I actually thought this issue was a better one, maybe because it was a nice quick read, but I'll give this a three out of five batterings. I'm going to split those two in the middle and give it a 2.5. And over on the website, Corbin Poole gave it four out of five batterings, so that's going to give Forever Evil Arkham War number five a total of Three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batgirl, number 28. Wow, Batman is so cool. And did you see? He works with a girl. I could totally be like her one day. Batgirl, 28, silver. Writer, Gail Simone. Pencils, Fernando Pissarin. Inker, Jonathan Glapion. And colors, blonde. Secluded in the Gotham suburbs is a mansion with a Mr. Uchida, a.k.a. Silver, and his caretaker, Miss Targa, and think caretaker like Mercy Graves with Lex Luthor. He gets a bath, which uh, this lady helps him with, has posters of his favorite villains, I mean to say freedom fighters as he names them, names his weapons, and even has mock statues of his least favorite bat heroes, which he ends up shooting. Elsewhere, Batgirl is on the hunt for the Brisby killer copycats. Can you believe only three months has passed in this book? And she knows that she's being tailed by someone and someone that she thinks is pretty good at tailing. She finds the copycats at a playground and leaps down to get them, but is beaten to the punch and finds them all knocked out. She knows it happens to be her tail and shadow boxes until she connects and realizes it is Strix. There are apologies. Batgirl refreshes our memories as to who Strix is and where she's been, oh, which is on the Birds of Prey if you're not reading that. And Strix tells Batgirl that she will tell as in writes down in mimes. Batgirl that she has been looking for an abducted girl, Sissy Chastain, to whom she feels a connection because that girl is also unable to speak. Batgirl ties up the copycats and leaves them, and one of them, for some reason, uh, has fangs. Eh. Silver has been following Batgirl and Strix, and he sees through his binoculars. Um, it, it just it looks like those two are feeding on the perps, as if they were actually vampires. Really? I, I don't know. I don't understand. Silver goes to the perps, and he ends up staking them through the heart. Meanwhile, Batgirl calls Sharice uh, Carnes for help to find the little girl. Says she will owe her a favor. Sorry, I feel like I've gone to the Twilight Zone here. At Batgirl's apartment, while Alicia is away at a protest, thank goodness we've got that Alicia back, Babs and Strix, and Strix is unmasked but with a bandaged face, uh, do a little short fashion show in order to find clothes to go undercover. No, that prom dress would not work for you, Strix. The two go as GCBD cops to the house of the missing girl and talk to her mother, who is clearly still upset about the whole thing. The police suspect the father who disappeared last year, but the mother doesn't agree. Silver, then, and his caretaker have bugged the Chastain residence and watched this conversation unfold, and then they meet up with Babs and Strix. Silver accuses the two of being bats who keep the uh, city in constant economic turmoil, uh, and the bats are also the vampires in his mind. This makes 
makes weird sense to Babs for some reason, but she quickly walks away. A fight ensues. People are punched and sliced. Babs kicks the guy in the groin, but apparently he's wearing an athletic cup. The cops arrive and are ready to open fire. As Silver is surrendering, he tells Babs that he has won because he has the queen vampire... Because he has the queen vampire locked up with an incendiary device, which will go off at dawn. And the queen happens to be this, this small child, Sissy, who is writing a note in crayons that begs for help. Next, conspiracy of bats. Um, <laughs> this was atrocious. I, you know, the past two issues, I was like, they're okay. And now I, I feel like I've been spat in my face. So my first question, because there are so many things running through my mind, is what the heck is going on slash your thoughts on, I I guess, this villain and the introduction to this probably three or four part vampire story? All right. um, Let's think. What did I think of this and this (laughs) villain? I'm not going to spend forever going on and on about, you know, my feelings of this. I'm just going to simply say it was crap. Um, I don't even understand the idea behind this. Uh, you know, I guess Gail Simone is like three years late to the party of vampires are, are the thing that's super popular now. So she decided to throw it in there. I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Like, okay. In some ways, the, the correspondence with the bat family and vampires. Okay, fine. The reason why he, for some reason, sees everybody in the bat family eating the or you know is, is thirsting on the blood of them and then basically is like oh okay well you've been turned i'm gonna stab you in the heart it, none of it makes any sense and i'm sure at some point we're gonna get a nice long explanation of why this is all happening there's so many problems with this it just pisses me off why is it that the paintings that the guy happens to have in his 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 house that say freedom fighters why do we have the joker with his face torn off if this is if this has all happened in such a short amount of time. Why is there a picture of a hooded girl, which I don't know, it, may, it appears to be possibly this Nightfall character. Ugh. Why she would be considered a freedom fighter amongst the likes of Joker, Penguin, and Two-Face, I have no idea. There, There's just so many different things that just don't make any sense. I mean, this villain, like, here's the thing. I understand that, yes, this probably is going to be a three or four issue story arc that's going to be told. And we're probably going to be getting some explanation in the next couple issues as to why this guy is the way he is or why he thinks that. But like, but basically I, you know, it's, this is, I'm chalking this up to another horrible villain idea created by Gail Simone. I just found this really strange. Almost humorously so. There are definitely like small, stupid things annoyed me about this in the in the opening scene. The amount of times the the two people would refer to each other as like Mister This or Mister That and Mrs. Mm-hmm. This, and it got really repetitive. The fact that he kind of he's him practicing to kill someone is building extremely detailed life size mannequins of his enemies and then shooting them while they're not moving is his like target practice that was another thing that uh, it's just like i don't know if it was done to look cool but it just it was so ridiculous that it annoyed me in a way i'm not sure he's not like a bad guy in terms of the other people who are like out to get but like Batgirl or the bat family or just do wrong because he 
I guess in his own mind, he feels like he's doing a good thing by killing vampires. So if they play with that, it could be interesting. But then, you know, they have to give it some kind of, uh, give him some kind of like horrific side to him by making him want to kill a child, even though he, I guess he feels he's doing it for the right reasons. Um, but yeah, this was this was really bizarre. I kind of it had that kind of vampire aspect to it before we kind of saw the that first binocular scene where he looks through and they're just feasting on this guy and that's when I kind of just went like, Wow, this is I don't know what I'm reading anymore. <laughs> I, I you know, bizarre is certainly the way the way to go with this. Um I just was like, What the heck is going on? And and I'm really it is just so beyond me now what these strange and bizarre villains are doing and why like we're supposed to enjoy them because it's just one after another is has a strange backstory things we don't understand power sets we don't understand talking weird and yet another one you know waking up it it very much felt like Lex Luthor and Mercy Graves uh, but then it took like a very sharp right turn and and just really bizarre stuff and, and seeing what he wants to see I feel like there could have been a cool aspect um, with the vampire thing. And, and it's funny because in on Batgirl the Oracle, there's a little plug there. But uh, Batgirl was actually facing a Lady Viper. And um, she actually turns into a snake. But, but Donovan and I discussed like, the fact that you know they missed an opportunity because they could have really done something wonderful with either vampires or man bat or, or something like that and i feel like there is that potential since there's something that is already existing in the batman mythology of having man bats and everything uh to potentially have like actual vampires running around or something i don't know i mean stephanie brown remember she encountered those but that was completely different but this just i i can't even offer any explanation I kind of laughed slash was like, what is going on when Simone made a Twilight reference? Because Babs turned around and said, well, if we start sparkling, please let us know. So I was like, oh, well, that's clever, I guess. Uh, I have a really big problem with Batgirl calling Charisse Carnes up on the phone and asking for her, for a favor. No matter what the, the thing is, I feel like Babs, like the Babs that we would never ask a villain for a favor um so i have a really big problem with that but this was just oh man i thought that Batgirl was trying to get good and then this issue happened but yeah i'm i'm not going to go and ranting and raving on this either my other question is just the timeline of Batgirl. um i was just and it was just one brief i guess we could say editor's note or, you know, did Batgirl say it? I, I can't really recall, but it just really blew me away. The fact that issue number one in Batgirl time happened three months ago. And so all of this stuff, death of the family, all, all of this had happened, murderer, in a three-month span of time. And I don't know if it was just me, but, I mean, guys, did you feel as blown away with that? Do you have a problem that... Over this period of time, only three months has occurred in comic world. I can't recall, but I want to say that it was stated in some other book that since the beginning of the New 52, there's been it's only been about one year, or maybe Snyder said it in an interview or something, but one year has passed since the beginning of the New 52 to, to current time, 
which means somehow in that one-year time frame, we had Corvalls, Death of the Family, and those well, those were the two large events that happened. But basically, that's the, that's the stuff that's happened in this one-year time frame. When I saw that this has all happened in everything that's happened in Batgirl has happened in three months, it doesn't make any sense. And it wasn't an editor's note; it was. Well, I think it was an editor's note saying, go back to Batgirl number one to read about the Brisby killers, because that's where it happened. But she said it was only three months ago that the Brisby killers... There's too, way, 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 way too much stuff that's happened in the course of three months. Just look at some of the, the, the things, like, let's look at uh, the situation that Ricky was in. Mm-hmm. He was in that cage, somehow he got out of the cage, healed was going on dates with her, then gets shot by her dad, and now is her 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 quasi-boyfriend in the pages of the book. I mean, like, and he didn't even show up until, what, the, the like, third story arc or something of the of the series? Mm-hmm. So, the, three months, no. No, it's just not possible. I don't know if that was just, like, uh, a mishap with timing or what, but I'm not a, I'm not a comic book writer. I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that you need to do it a certain way, but I would assume that if you're a comic book writer and you plot your ideas, you have a timeline of events. And if you're an editor, you should also try to plot your events alongside the other events happening in the other group of books. So if your book is crossing over for Night of the Owls or Death of a Family, mm-hmm. When it crosses over, you should be timeline-wise with the same th- same books or with the other books in the group. Otherwise, you should not be crossing over. Batwoman didn't cross over with half the stuff that's happened. So it's completely understandable that she could be, you know, everything that has happened in the pages of Batwoman could has, ha- has happened over the course of two years. Because there's no real definition of when everything began. So the problem is by saying specific time frames... That's a that's a mistake on not only the writer but also the editor who's doing the book. That should be something that somebody should say. Maybe we shouldn't say this because we don't we've never really defined it. By defining it, you're you're contradicting events that are happening in other books. So I think it's stupid that they even had the three month. I, I mean, they, she could have just said a very blat uh, you know generalized statement of oh well you know this this. These people are are copycat killers, just like the Brisby killers that I captured months ago. And leave it at that. Not specific times of three months ago, because then you're limiting it to when this has actually happened. And I'm sorry, there's no way everything that's happened in the pages of Batgirl has happened in a three-month time frame. Yeah, I agree. I think the biggest problem is that they put a time frame on it at all, because... It, like you said, it affects other books when you do that, because of the tie-ins. So, um... It's easier just, yeah, like you said, to say it happened ages ago rather than to try and, you know, set it in some kind of timeline. And that goes for every book, I feel. I just, yeah, I think um, besides even putting, and I guess that's why you always say, you know, you're dating the podcast, uh, Dustin. I think it, it really comes into focus here. But not only sort of dating or putting a timeline, I think that three months is like perhaps one of the worst um, just because I – just as as Dustin said, I, I think that there's no way that all of this stuff could have happened. Uh, but it makes a relationship or quasi relationship, if we want to call it that, between Ricky and Babs even uh, the more like ridiculous because they did only go out on one date and then all of a sudden they were 
quote dating. But those are really, I mean, unless you want to bring it out, it, it would just be me like picking out negative things. So I really have no other uh, topics to discuss unless you want to go on for an hour. No, I definitely don't yeah. want about a, about, about a junk book like yeah. this. All right. Batgirl number 28, I'm giving one out of five batterings. I will give Batgirl number 28 a two out of five batterings. I really try hard to find some redeeming quality in books, and I legitimately cannot find any redeeming qualities in this. I'm going to go with a zero out of five. All right, so that's going to give Batgirl number 28 a total of one out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman number 28. I am Catwoman. Meow. Batman number 28, written by Scott Snyder and James Tinian IV, art by Dustin Wen and Derek Friedhoffs. Uh, the issue starts off with Harper Rowe looking at some security cameras, it appear, and then uh, some police come to her and say, you're violating the curfew. Um, as they are about to whack her over the head for smarting off, she whisper, or well, she says some words that turned out to be some secret magic words to allow her access to a bar inside of Gotham, or a club. Uh, this is actually the last nightclub left in New Gotham. Um, as I probably should have mentioned, this takes place during the timeline of Batman Eternal. I'll talk more about that during the, re- uh, the review, but uh, Harper Rowe is then approached by a number of thugs who are saying, you know, why are you here? Uh, we don't believe you're here. She says that she's here to speak to the head boss. Um, after she uses some of her tech gadgets, she makes the lights go out. Batman appears, knocks out a bunch of the thugs. We then see the Batcave where there's a girl standing in front of the Bat computer who is talking about how she's been monitoring everything that's been happening. Uh, Batman turns to Harper Row and says, get your gear, we have work to do. Um, she uh, then appears to be in a new suit, which we saw from the concept art from back in, back in January. Um, she's in a new guise, and she appears to be a sidekick of Batman. Uh, after the two of them uh, beat up a bunch of thugs, she whips out a, a large laser rifle-type gun um, and starts shooting thugs left and right, and it is a some sort of taser shocker gun. And uh, we then see some of uh, the Underworld boss say, uh, while I'm here, stand down, let's hear what the bat has to say, and it's revealed that it's actually Selina Kyle. So Batman basically says, listen, we, uh, we're we here because we know that you have the answer to putting the city back in place. Um, where is it? We need to see you're safe. Selina basically says, listen, things aren't the way they used to be. Uh, my thoughts are that there's no, mo- no more masks, no more innuendo, no more rooftop chases. That Catwoman is gone because you left her to die. Um, she... Harper Rowe ends up pulling her gun on Selena Kyle and says, listen, um, I'm going to go on full shock mode with this bad boy if you don't let my boss go because Catwoman has Batman wrapped with a uh, whip. Catwoman appreciates the fact that she's kind of feisty. They proceed to the safe. The safe is open. This character, Harper Rowe, is known as Bluebird. And uh, she says, you've got to be kidding me. And Selena Kyle says, yes, the uh, she's the real deal. I've been questioning her for hours. Her name is Stephanie Brown, and she calls herself Spoiler. She's the only one in the city who knows how to stop what's coming next. 
Uh, and then the story begins in Batman Eternal this April. All right, so Batman number 28. Now, the first thing I want to talk about about Batman number 28 is a lot of people were confused as to when this actually took place. So Scott Snyder said that if this issue was taking place during the Batman Eternal run, it would be issue 39.5, meaning it would take place between issue 39 and 40. That being said, the, the story itself... There's a bunch of different things we're going to talk about here. First off, uh, Selena Kyle is the new kingpin of Gotham. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about this earlier during comic news. I have to say I think it's a kind of a cool idea. One, because it brings Selena a little bit more into the mix, brings her from, you know, the gray side of the villain or, you know, the gray, the gray side of the villainy to being a full-fledged villain on the wrong side, having Batman come after her. This is something that probably needed to happen for the character because she, as I said earlier, she's been stagnant ever since Innocenti took over the book. And even since the beginning of the run on Catwoman, there really hasn't been any interesting stories related to her. Yeah, she's been, she steals some things here and there. Yeah, she's involved in the crossovers, but for the most part, nothing really happens. So I think that this is an interesting way of bringing Selena Kyle into the mix by making her the kingpin. Do I believe fully that she could take on the likes of Two-Face and the Penguin and, well, Two-Face and Penguin are pretty big right now in the normal stories. So do I believe that that could happen? No, not really. But I, the one thing that I will say in her defense is that she's not going to be locked up in Arkham like the rest of them. So if Batman actually caught everyone else and she was still doing her own thing, she'd probably have the likelihood of being able to do this specifically because Batman wouldn't think that she would end up being who she ends up becoming. I agree that it's a cool idea. Um, I have no idea how it will get to this state, but... Um, I've always enjoyed Selena more as a villain, um, and I don't really like the relationship. Yeah, like I don't mind the kind of flirtatious thing. I don't like it as far as it went in, say Hush, for example. Um, so I'm looking forward to this relationship and this kind of dynamic. I think that it will. I, I don't think she can turn totally evil, and I think they sort of touched upon it here. You know, there's not going to be the flirting and stuff, but I think that will still play into it, and there'll still be some kind of affection even if it's unwanted and i think that will need to be there because it wouldn't make any sense for it to go from one extreme to the to the other um so if they play that up and then play up the uh yeah the struggle of you know between both of them the kind of like you know i kind of like you but we can't do this and then the fact that she's gone even darker like you said she's not on that gray line anymore she's going further into the black um then that will that will be cool. Uh, like I said, I have no idea how it get to this state, but I think as long as they kind of keep playing with that idea of them being, you know, fond for each other, even though she's taken this darker path, it it could be really interesting. It was uh, hard for me to get into the issue in the beginning because I was so engrossed. Well, I shouldn't say engrossed, but we, we've been doing zero year for a long time that um, it was hard to to shift. Um, and this is one of the issues I've been having with some of the DC books is that, especially the Bat books, is that we've been doing a storyline and then, okay, we're taking a break. We got to do a zero year tie in. Okay, we're doing the storyline. Oh, we got to take a break. It's a Gothopia. And it's been back and forth like this. Now, I feel like this is the only break we're going to take 
Um, and then, you know, Eternal will have its own book. But it was difficult to, to get in there. So I feel like that was kind of part of your little discussion question. I did I at least want to bring that up. I love that, you know, she's the kingpin now, me being of a Marvel mind as well. I kept thinking like, oh, is this rotund man going to come out? Um, but but he didn't. You know, it, it nature abhors a vacuum. And with the penguin gone and, you know, in jail and hopefully plotting something awesome that's about to happen uh, against Ogilvy, perhaps, uh, we needed someone to fill that. And, oh, my word, like, who would imagine that it would be Catwoman? Yeah, I think, you know, we would all think, oh, it's probably going to be Two-Face. Like, that would probably be the person that we would we would go to. And to have it be Catwoman, I think, is an awesome change. Uh, yes, I see her kind of moving away from that gray, but I, I just think it's a darker gray for me. I, I don't think Catwoman is ever a character that will be completely evil uh just like two-face i think there's always sort of this side that's fighting and that's one of the reasons why i really like catwoman but i thought she was awesome in this issue um for me it breathed some new life into her which is something that i feel like her own book has been sorely lacking um and just to really see her like being played up it, it almost like got a sense of like talia for me uh just kind of looking at her and how she was acting and everything but just a completely different persona not going to take any more crap not going to fall for batman i think that part of her speech when she said you know there's not going to be any more um rooftop chases or stuff i was like yeah this is going to be an awesome Catwoman. so i i think it's a shock like oh my gosh who would expect Catwoman but I think it's pretty cool and, and I look forward to, to seeing how it's all going to play out I do agree with you how could she take down you know other bigger and better uh, members perhaps you know like Two-Face and everything and perhaps that's something that will be explored how did she rise up to this you know this title of Kingpin because uh, I think that would be an interesting journey but it seems like she's got a lot of people behind her so I feel like it wasn't her own might but the might of others behind her and it'll be interesting to see if there are any other villains or big names that are in league with her all right. The, the next thing I want to talk about is Harper Rowe and her new role in the Batman universe. Now, you know, despite being told multiple times, oh, this is not going to be a Robin. OK, so she doesn't end up being a Robin, but she's now a sidekick of Batman, which regardless of what anybody says, she's still a Robin. She's just a different name. She's not actually the Robin. She's just a sidekick, which I'm sorry, I would classify any sidekick as a Robin in one way or another just because that was the original sidekick to Batman. Um, there's a couple different things with this. Uh, the first thing is she approaches these people in her normal civilian identity, which, okay, is fine. But when she turns, when she changes into her costume, she she has the exact same look. The, there's nothing that changes. She has a mask over her face. What's the point if she's walking around in her civilian identity being associated with Batman? Not sure. She's, you know, her hair is not a normal haircut where she's going to, you know, there's people walking around with uh, mohawks or, you know, part of their head shaved. It's, it's just not something that people are going to be walking around like. So that and then I also noticed that she all she, you know, her ears are exposed and she has the earrings in her ears, which, OK, plenty of girls are going to have earrings. But I, I don't know. It's just I OK, let me let me start by saying this. OK. We said that Harper Rowe was eventually going to get shoved down our throats. Regardless of what anybody says, she's still being shoved down our throats. Um, 
the fact that she's not Nightwing, even though she has the original Nightwing colors and basically a, a very similar costume design to Nightwing with, you know, I, I don't I don't even want to talk about it that much. She's blue like Nightwing. She her her name happens to be Bluebird instead of Nightwing. Okay, fine. This this does I I do think that uh, when we talked last month about Detective Comics twenty seven, mm-hmm. um, there was that story by Scott Snyder which showed the two cases. One of them had a costume that said Bluebird. The other one said Lark. Mm. We talked about how that was foreshadowing something happening. The weird thing is I went back and looked at that Bluebird costume. And it looks nothing like it, and the Bluebird costume actually looks like a, ma- a male's costume, so I'm not real sure about that. Lark actually looked like a, the female costume, but uh, I wanted to bring that up because we did talk about how that was foreshadowing something. So even if the name Bluebird was foreshadowing her becoming this character, fine. Do I have a problem with her being a psychic? You know, I, I don't know. I, I think that the big thing is I just don't like how she's being shoved down our throats. <laughs> You know, this character who came out of nowhere, despite the fact that we've pointed out multiple times that there's plenty of characters that they've had since before the New 52 that they haven't given any sort of credit or, credit or I guess, page time. But yet Harper Row keeps getting this, and now she's going to become a character who's working with Batman. You know, I would, f- I would find it fine with her tech, her tech savvy and stuff like that as her being the person behind the computer mm-hmm. if she was going to become anybody. Which we, that's another thing that I'll bring up oh, in a yeah, minute, who is but it? but uh, her actually going out on patrol with Batman. What kind of training does she have? None. She's got no training. You know, yeah, she she is great when it comes to computers and stuff like that. But why would she be out beating people up, fighting people? Um, why does she have a gun? That doesn't make any sense. The fact that someone says, "Oh, I thought Batman hated guns," and he says, "I do, I do," she doesn't but yet you allow her to work for you? I mean, I don't care if it's shooting shock pellets or whatever they want to call her, a taser gun. She's holding the freaking rifle. I mean, come on. I think you answered your question. You said, do I like have a problem with it? And you said, I don't know. I think the answer really is yes. Yes, I do have a problem. Okay. With it. I mean, there's, there's too many problems with it. The fact, I mean, obviously... Because this is taking place 39 issues after Batman Eternal starts, we're probably going to see how she becomes this character. We're probably going to see why she chooses to use a rifle, why Batman allows it. We're probably going to see all this, which is fine. Yeah, I I have a problem with this as well. And I'm going to say, and this is just keep this in mind for all I'm going to say about this. Um, I, I. Obviously, I knew the premise before going into this, and I read this with the mindset of, like, right, I don't know how any of this came to be, and I'm not going to know that for ages. So just treat it as it's going to be explained, and just try and enjoy the issue, or read the issue for what it is, and don't think, and don't, like, get annoyed with things like, oh, this doesn't make any sense, but just try and trust that it's going to be explained. But that doesn't mean that some aspects of it don't jump out and irritate. (laughs) Um... I can't say I've never had a problem with Harper Row because some of her characteristics I, I don't enjoy, but I do think the most irritating thing about her was her the way that she's kind of been, like Dustin referred to several times, shoved down our throat. I did quite like her introduction with just that few panels of her with uh, when she was reviving Batman in the van um, during the Court of Owls run. But um, yeah, just the fact that 
there's no mention of her for like seven issues and then she'll get a whole issue to herself and then be completely absent again for another seven issues and then get another one. I never liked that. I think that if they wanted to build her character up, they should have either in backups or just small aspects of the story weaved in um, throughout the ongoing story. And then that's the best way, I think, to build her characterization um, rather than this really kind of like right, we're done with this, right now, Harper, 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 like, you know, read this, love the character, and they kept saying, you know, fan favourite Harper Row. So I don't know who this is referring to. I guess Batman needs a psychic, but this is, I know this is in the future, but it, all, it seems so distant from where we are at the moment, just him working with, like, several kids, it seems, and is so, like, and the fact that she disobeys him, and, you know, we've seen from several issues past that if you disobey Batman, then that's not going to fly. And she's like, to his face, oh yeah, I heard what you said, but I'm going to do this anyway. The fact that, you know, even if it isn't a proper gun, the fact that it looks like a gun, because, I mean, Batman uses gra- grapple guns, but they don't look like guns. At the very least, her giant taser EMP rifle thing could, you know, look a bit different. It doesn't have to look like a, a giant weapon. But... um yeah, and that, the other thing that really irritated me, like Dustin again pointed out, was just the fact that she is not a uh, a subtle character. This, the way she dresses, and I mean, you know, that's fine. But if you're going to be a vigilante, you've got to try and disguise your alter ego rather than flaunting it. You know, the only way they're going to be able to get around it is if, like, she starts saying, "Oh yeah, I like." I like Bluebird's hairstyle, so I copied it. But then she seems like the sort of character who would be like, oh, no, I didn't copy anyone. I'm so individual. <laughs> um, so that really doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, we'll see. I guess I don't necessarily see the whole, though I've been more positive about this character, I think, um, than you guys have. I don't know if it's because I'm a female or not. But I guess I don't really see how she's been uh, shoved down her throats and... I mean, even Joe said that it's not been every issue. I, I, I can see that argument if it's she's been popping up and we've been forced to take notice of her. But she's been in there, I mean, maybe four or five issues. Well, let me ask you this, okay? Mm-hmm. Knowing that Scott Snyder is the one who has her mm-hmm. and knowing that Scott Snyder does these long, long stories mm-hmm. normally, yep. look at what he's written we have the Court of Owls, which lasted, I think it was like 11 issues. Then we get Harper Row. Then we go into um, the death. Uh, there was the death of the family. Then there was Harper Row. Then there was the story of, uh, there's that two-issue story part before uh, Zero Year. And then we had Harper Row. So basically, if you look at the stories that Snyder has told, even though the Court of Owls lasted 11 issues, Death of the Family was like four Zero Year has is going to be, I think, like 12 or 14 issues total. When you look at this, we basically get one story, Harper Row, one story, Harper Row, one story, Harper Row, one story, Harper Row. So when you look at the stories that you get, it's basically like 50% of the stories that have been told by Snyder have been Harper Row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I completely, I see your argument. Harper Row was so obviously created for mm-hmm. this purpose to kind of be oh hey look and it, there's no subtlety to it whereas like the biggest 
thing to affect the Batman universe that Grant Morrison did was Damien, and that came from past storylines and everything else he did. Whilst he says he's happy for people to take it and run with it, and you know, use Professor Pig, use Flamingo, use all of these characters, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure he'd like that, but no one does, no one wants to touch it because what he created them to be self-contained and like doesn't said fit this universe and this big story that he was telling. And if they bleed out into the rest of it, then that's great but he didn't need it to. And I guess mm-hmm. it's different because he also was doing this story for seven years or however long it was, but it, it's just when, as soon as this character popped up, everyone just went, oh, right, so she's going to be the new Robin. Even Damien wasn't even dead, and that's what everyone thought. So Okay, let me say this. Dustin, you yourself have have said now, you know, DC 52, New 52, it's here to say we just need to get over it. And I think that argument is just going to, pervade everything we talk about here because Harper Rowe is a new character why are they creating these new characters is DC New 52 I think it's time that you know I, I think that unfortunately that argument is is the one you have to use yes I have said this is the New 52 so you have to just accept that there are changes but this isn't necessarily a change this is just we're because they're not ch- because okay when I said when I made the comment about you have to accept it because it's New 52 a lot of it had to do with the the differences between original stories like Long Halloween or Batman Year One, and the differences that we see in Batman and Robin currently with changing the origin of Two Face and things like that, or Zero Year, how it's changing some of the origin of of Year One. That's the thing. I understand that there's changes that are going to happen because it's the New Fifty Two. That's fine, but this is not a change. This is we're creating something brand new to serve a purpose for our story instead of using something that already existed to serve the same purpose. Yeah, I I, I mean, yes, but I, I still feel like there was some sort of invisible thing that's like, no, we're going we're gonna to table Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Cain right now. And if you as a writer are not allowed to play with those characters, it's not your fault if you got to come up with somebody new and you're trying the best you can to make i don't know this character liked or not liked i mean how many people liked damien when he first came out i personally didn't i feel like a lot of people didn't but then all of a sudden they started to love him so we can only hope that harper row will serve her purpose but i just feel like i mean if i'm gonna play the side of snyder i just feel like he was up against the wall and he couldn't bring in the characters that we would have loved to see and he had to create this new one you know i feel like i'm just gonna put out there right now that i don't think this batman is bruce wayne I he his mannerisms are very different. Uh, he doesn't have a gruff way of speaking, and he would be freaking out at a lot of the stuff that's going down. I'm gonna put in right now that this is either Dick Grayson or somebody else, but it's not Bruce Wayne. You can either a year from now call me an idiot or call me a genius. Who even knows? But either this is in our universe and it is not Bruce Wayne. It's Dick Grayson. Bruce is off doing something, or it's some other continuity. Um, which I think then we'll all accept everything as wonderful. But, you know, I, I guess I just don't have as many issues with what's been going on as as you two have. And, and I mean, obviously, you guys are free to, free to have that. But I, I think, you know, if we're told that we can't see or if we are not going to see our characters that we love and everything, then we're going to have to deal with what we are given. I was going to say, I think that would be an amazing call if it was Dick Grayson. And now you said it, I could kind of see just from his reactions, just sort of with the uh, the kids and like working with younger children and stuff could potentially work. And, you know, work as a new guy is... But then I'm not sure what Bruce would be doing, so it doesn't 
quite add up, but it would be cool. That would be an amazing call if you got that. Um, the other thing is, I think I, un- I completely understand both sides of it. Like, the universe does need to evolve. New stories need to come out, and you can't just keep sticking with the status quo because then it gets boring. Um, at the same time, like, agree with Dustin like we have such a wealth of characters why keep creating new ones the only thing I would say here is that I think this sort of jump into the future is a real disservice because we're jumping straight into this complete nonsense and there's no kind of like this is how it happens this is what there's no logic behind it there's no like this leads to this which leads to this which is why this makes sense and is a good story it's just kind of like look at all this shiny new stuff get excited by it whereas most people like what is this? I don't. I don't want this to happen. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, hopefully, when it, you know, when we get to this yeah. point in the story, it will all make sense and we'll mm-hmm. be enjoying it. Yeah. yeah, and I and I definitely will say when it comes to issue thirty nine and issue forty, I will go back and read this issue and and see if it works. And hopefully, when issue thirty nine comes out, I'll talk about you know, okay, maybe I was wrong about how it all played out. But the thing is. It was put perfectly on the website. Josh Clayton reviewed the book, and he said that uh, as a new reader in comics and expecting to get an issue of Zero Year when he went to the comic store and he picked up this issue and read it, he basically felt as if it was just an advertisement for Batman Eternal, and that's mm-hmm. it. And that that is what it is. I mean, the other thing is because it's so far into the future of Batman Eternal, the biggest thing is you Snyder has said they're planning on doing it for a full year. So that's 52 issues. The fact that this is supposed to be 39.5, that's 10 months in. So, I mean, that's really, really far into the future of the series. Why they chose to go that far ahead. I don't really know because now we're all going to be scratching our heads for the next 10 months as to how this plays into how, uh, you know, how this plays into the actual story of what we're going to see. I don't really understand the you know the, the the point of doing this. I understand that they needed to have a one-off issue in the middle of zero year, and this probably made the most sense to Snyder because instead of just doing a one-off issue that didn't play into Batman or to, to zero year to make it play into Batman Eternal because it's not affecting what's happening in zero year, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, the last thing that I want to talk about is just a couple of small little things. The first one is um, there's a couple of different hints as to things in the future that change. The first one is there seemingly is a new person standing in front of the back computer, who's definitely not Alfred. Um, it's unsure, it's completely unsure whether or not it's a girl or a guy. You could say it's a girl because mm-hmm. of the hair, but at the same point, who knows? Everybody could have crazy hair. If you look at Dick Grayson's hair in the pages of Nightwing... His hair was a little crazy, so it's entirely possible it could be either a boy or a girl. But uh, there's somebody new in the Batcave who definitely knows everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, they are seemingly the new tech person. Um, I saw some stuff talking, people talking online about, well, maybe this is Carrie Kelly. If that's true, mm. I don't really understand that because what does she have to do with tech stuff? It would make more sense if it was Harper Rowe standing in front of the back computer and not Carrie Kelly. Because why would Carrie Kelly have anything to do with tech when a lot of the stuff that she's been dealing with is theater yeah. and acting and stuff? So it doesn't make any sense of why it would be her. Um, as far as who else it could be, well, 
I mean, there's a number of different people it could be. It could be it could be Barbara Gordon, for mm-hmm. all we know. Who knows? There's no way of knowing exactly who it is there because the character is clouded by shadows. So you'd have no idea what color their hair is. If it is a boy or a girl, we just know it. there is a person, and it's definitely not Alfred. Uh, the other thing to talk about, obviously, is Stephanie Brown appearing at the end. Um, if we do have to wait 10 months to find out, why Stephanie or Stephanie Brown in this series? I'm gonna be pretty ticked off about this because um, one of the selling points on this series was that she was going to be in the series. So I'm hoping that um, this 39 and a half is not going to actually be the reveal of Stephanie Brown for the first time in Batman Eternal because that would piss me off a lot. Considering um, this person, you know, the way she's introduced is her name is Stephanie Brown and she calls herself Spoiler, as if Batman doesn't know who it is. So I'm hoping that uh, we don't have to wait 10 months for Stephanie Brown's spoiler to show up. Maybe we see Stephanie Brown. I am interested to in know why she was the only one who knows what's going to happen or how to stop what's going to happen next. That's That kind of intrigues me. Um, also leads me to believe that she will have a much larger role in the series, even if it is 10 months after after this issue. So... I'm interested to see what happens with Stephanie Brown, but for, as far as the reveal of Stephanie Brown and the person at the back computer, who do you, what do you guys think? Um, on the first read, I assumed it was uh, Stephanie Brown. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just well, just because of the kind of like you know I, I'm new at this, I don't really know what right. I'm doing, and um, and the fact that we haven't seen it yet. So by the end of the issue, I kind of wondered again. And I just assumed it was a. Uh, I think it's Cullen, is it? You know, uh, Harper's brother. Oh, yeah. Um, would be my assumption, just mm-hmm. because they're obviously very close, and you know, uh, they obviously don't come from a good home, and you know, bringing him in with that would uh, possibly make sense. As for Stephanie Brown at the end, I I might be reading too much into it, but I'm a bit worried that this is going to go along the trend of characters in the new 52 suddenly having psychic powers because if she's called the spoiler and she can see into the future this horrific event which only she can save people from i'm a bit nervous that that's the way this is going so hopefully not i just i just got a bit upset by the fact that clearly no one knows who she is and it's kind of like oh this is stephanie brown and there's no like batman it's like oh yeah i know she used to be my batgirl but uh so it's a shame that she's going to be a completely new character, which means that she could have a completely different personality and everything. And the only, you know, thing that relates to them is their name and and general look. Um, who is it? Yeah, behind this, you know, I I was thinking about all these pre-New Fifty Two characters that um could pop up, like Wendy Harris or something like that. Of course, she's not in a wheelchair. I think Barbara Gordon is like the logical person to be there if it's if it's no one else. Um, but why she's behind, you know, the console and really she would know what was going on. So I kind of tabled that. Um, it's it's. Difficult to know. Yeah, she's got the short, spiky hair. So uh, I think Carrie Kelly could potentially be that person. I don't think it's Harper's brother just because I feel like there were a couple, like, short and fun conversations between the two of them that he is not technologically savvy, and that's just kind of her thing. Um, but, you know, who knows? Maybe they cloned her, or maybe it's it's Damien. No, I don't think it's Damien. Uh, Carrie Kelly, I'll go with that. Oh, Stephanie Brown. You know, well-drawn, even though she's tied up in a chair. And, you know, I think Dustin's getting his wish. He wants old stories to come back. 
wow, does this seem like war games. Um, hey, wasn't she the one who basically started that whole business? So if she's the one who knows what's going on, could be war games coming down at us again. We'll have Roman Sionis running around. No, it really did kind of remind me of that, and she got tortured and everything, and it was bad. I don't think she's going to have any powers like that. Um, just this, like, seeing ahead in the future. That would be terrible and awful, but um, perhaps, I mean, her father... Maybe there's some connection there, and that's how she knows everything. Um, maybe her father, somehow Clue Master is the one to, to be orchestrating a lot of stuff, or he's with a bunch of villains. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm happy to see her. Again, my, my, uh, my fear is just that we are really going to take her back to this very beginning where people were somewhat, you know, annoyed by her, and she didn't really have the best characterization that she had, um, and... Who's to know right now in this one panel? Um, I, I think, you know, as a fan of Stephanie Brown, I'm just happy to see her again. And I look forward to learning about it. But I, I feel like it's not, we're not going to see her for a very long time. Because if this is the end, um, I don't know. I, I just feel like, well, how, why are we going to spend issues? I mean, we may, may like be introduced to her. But after that, we're not going to spend issues on her getting caught and potentially tortured or questioned for several pages. Um, so I feel like it's going to be a very long while until we see her again, and then she'll pop up, and then we'll move on. But uh, I guess we'll we'll just have to be patient people. And yes, I hope Alfred the Cat is talking. I, uh, I think I know who I want to be behind the computer, mm-hmm. and um, I think it would be great if after his failures in Forever Evil, if... Nightwing got a massive demotion. Ooh. Nightwing Dick Grayson. You mean if he's not Batman? Well, of course, if he's not Batman. Yeah. yeah. All right. So with that, Batman number 28, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five batterings. Wow. I think I'll be slightly more generous, but only slightly and give it a three out of five batterings. Um, obviously. And, you know... <laughs> We're all friends here, so hopefully none of the listeners like feel like there's any animosity between us. I think it's a good discussion. Um, you know, I'm going to give it a four. I I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I, I can see your, your problems and, and your points and everything, but I enjoyed it, so four for me. All right, and over on the website, Josh Clayton gave the issue three and a half out of five batterings, so that's going to give Batman number 28 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our last book, Detective Comics number 28. He's here. The Batman. Detective Comics number 28, written by John Lehman with art by Aaron Lepresti. The issue opens with Batman in a straitjacket and padded cell, being studied by Byron Meredith, Laszlo Valentin, Victor Freeze, Harleen Quinzel, and Jonathan Crane, as, they'll all give, as they are all giving their diagnosis. Or as Batman sees them, the Merrymaker, Professor Pig, Mr. Freeze, Harley Quinn, and Scarecrow. As Batman is led to his cell, we see Arkham is filled with people who have realised the truth about Gothtopia. In a short flashback sequence, we see that Batman allowed himself to get taken down so that he could get into Arkham. And jumping back to his cell, and jumping back to him in his cell, we see him getting to work. Removing his glove and opening it to reveal an array of computerized gadgets, Batman uses the intercom in his cell to hack into the security system. He shuts down the CCTV and escapes his cell and arrives in time to take down the guards in the security room before they call an alarm. Batman sets the camera in his cell to show a loop of him in his bed before he makes his way to Scarecrow's lab, taking down all guards in the way. 
Uh, inspecting the new toxin, Batman discovers that it's designed to produce contentment rather than fear, and that it will take three days to create an antidote, except Batman doesn't have three days. We then have a flashback of eight hours earlier where Batman is visited by Selina, who warns him that Crane intends to perform surgery on Batman. Back in the present, Batman breaks Ivy out of her cell as he needs her blood to speed up the antidote process, and in thanks she gives him a kiss. Whilst Batman works on the antidote, Ivy explains that the reason Scarecrow is making everyone feel content is so that when he does use his fear toxin, it's a far more intense fear. The victims then don't remember what happened, but are so damaged that it's led to the increased suicide rate. After, com- after completing the antidote, Ivy pumps the sedative through the ventilation system and the two of them sneak out of Arkham with everyone asleep, Batman not being affected by the sedative because of Ivy's earlier kiss. However, after a short battle with Croc, the two exit the building and are faced with the Scarecrow, as well as the Bat family in Scarecrow masks. So one question that I was kind of wondering as I read this is, do the workers at Arkham know what's going on? Because there's been a couple of mentions, I think it was uh, Flamingo said, Oh, should we tell Croc? Uh, I mean, Mr. Like Mr. Jones, head of security, and uh, with Selena saying, you know, why can't you just believe and things like that? Seem to be some hints that people know what's going on. I think the the problem is that some of them probably do have some idea of what's going on because they're not they're not as affected. Um, because realistically, if all these villains were affected, they wouldn't be saying some of the stuff they said. Like when there's that opening scene where the four doctors are talking about their different methods of how they can fix Batman. There, it's basically. I thought the whole idea was that they were supposed to have this, like they're saying stuff, but Batman would be portraying it as one thing, but it all harkens back to whatever their their thing is. Like Freeze wants to do something with freezing. Professor Pig wants to do stuff that. You know, he's surgically removing stuff and he holds up the saw. So I thought the idea was that Batman's still viewing it as this, but he can see who they are because he knows who they they actually are. So I think that some of them probably some of them are probably not affected at all. They're just going along with this. And like even when Zaz is the nurse Mm -hmm. and he's wearing the wig, why would why would why would Zaz wear a wig just for the fun of it? That's that doesn't have anything to do with the character ever. So I don't know why that would happen. Um, my only guess is that Batman's, you know, he's seen some of this stuff, but it's just slightly distorted. The villains probably aren't affected at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, like if we say workers, cause you said, do you think the workers are aware? I think the, the actual workers and, and people within, the asylum are now in in case because you kind of saw dotted behind like you actually see the security guards and everything so they're imprisoned and then the prisoners are actually the ones running it and i think that everything is sort of they're playing along um but but they are not affected by what is going on um i think but of course, now that I think of it, though, there is – they may be slightly affected, just not to a, uh, a high degree because with the whole Poison Ivy argument, the reason why she is in prison is because she was not affected by whatever – like the toxin. So I think there is some sort of um, uh, something that that's going around that is also affecting the villains, though not 
as heavy a quantity as um, as the the people on the outside. But uh, I do I agree that the whole wig with the nurse Zaz and I think it seemed like she was a woman and everything um, is more uh, Batman's perspective than um, than our perspective as readers. Yeah, and possibly you said about the distorted view of reality, even though he kind of knows what's going on, might make sense. Because I was a bit confused as to why, at, before Gothtopia started, the last page of the of a detective was a Catwoman in that Catbird outfit. And then there's a panel, there's a page in here where you see two representations of the same scene um, with Scarecrow talking to Catwoman. And on the top one, it's, you know, it's Gothtopia and the one below it's it's just regular Gotham and you know Jonathan Crane's in his scarecrow costume and um, but for some reason everything's different apart from Catwoman is still wearing that Catbird costume mm-hmm. which is almost as if she's wearing it and intentionally and that's you know not changing but then at the end of the issue you see her with the scarecrow mask on and she's wearing the her regular costume and it might I'd have to double check but she might even be wearing her regular costume during the Actually, no, I think she's wearing the Catbird costume during the interrogation scene. Um, so that's a, another strange inconsistency. Um, and not, normally I don't like to touch upon continuity because it's always so convoluted and it doesn't normally bother me. But for a tie-in, I think it's not. it should be important. And I've only read the Batgirl tie-in and maybe Dustin might be able to help me. I'm not sure if you've kept up with everything since you uh, the... 0.5 classes on hiatus but i was wondering why batgirl would be wearing a scarecrow mask and wouldn't it wouldn't the tie-in story be far more beneficial and actually be a tie-in story if instead of just seeing a story set in that world we saw the story of how scarecrow you know takes her over and and forces her i imagine forces her to be part of his army you know put on this scarecrow mask and fight for him to take batman down well, I can say the reason why this is is because the tie-ins weren't really tie-ins. They were, like you said, they were individual stories just taking place in this this universe that that Layman created. The other titles also do not show how this would eventually become in this issue. So it's there's nothing that is revealed in the other issues either. All of the issues that supposedly tied in were just their characters taking place in the universe of Gotopia. So yes, it would have made more sense for them to get to the point at the end of each tie in issue where it leads to them getting taken over by Scarecrow, having the mask on them. And then it leads to what happens here. That would make more sense. The problem is that there's such a like a weird loose interpretation of a tie-in and we've talked about this multiple times where books will tie in they may take place within the storyline but they don't actually make sense with the timeline constructed with inside of the 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 actual tie-in series or the the uh story that that is created we've seen that with death of the family zero year there's a lot of different things that, you know, the the individual writers on the individual books, they write their own story that, has, that overall it takes place within the same confinement area of the story, but for the most part has absolutely nothing to do with the, it doesn't actually add anything to the actual story. Uh, it's pretty much happened every time they've had a, a tie-in with Scott Snyder, which would be zero year, 
Death of the Family and Court and Night of the Owls, every single one of those situations they didn't add anything to Snyder's story. They just happened. Which is, I think, I mean, I think that's what comic creators, I mean, that right there, they may, like, listen to this podcast and put this on their, <laughs> their advertisements because that is what they, that's what they say all the time. They say that tie-ins aren't necessary. They just add to uh, round out the story. Uh, and you basically just agreed with them there. Uh, right, but, but, but it does it does do that. But But at the same point, it's not... It doesn't do anybody actually any favors. Think of it like this. I mean, Stella, you've said multiple times, even in this episode, that that we keep having these tie-ins where stories will be in the middle of a story arc. They'll stop, tie-in with whatever's going on, Uh pick back up into the normal storyline. Wait, another month goes by. Oh, they got to jump into the next Mm -hmm. tie-in. The problem is that there's... Yes, tie-ins aren't supposed to – the way DC markets their tie-ins is you can pick them up individually. You don't have to pick them all up, and because of that, you can read them individually and not have to pay $15 for all five issues compared to paying the the $6 you're going to buy for two issues. That's the whole reason – that's the whole big thing that they wanted to do with the New 52 when they started tie-ins was – don't call it a tie-in, or don't call it. Uh, what was it? What was it? Uh, they actually had some stupid phrase they kept saying, you know, because all because they kept making a big deal about how the first tie-in was Night of Owls, and they had like every Bat book tied into it. But they kept saying, "Don't worry, you don't have to pick it up. You don't have to pick it up. It's it's not it's not a cross. Oh, don't call it a crossover. That's what they kept saying. <laughs> don't call it a crossover because it's not a crossover because it's it's not actually crossing over." It's just a tie-in. That's exactly what it is. It's it's tying into the story, but it doesn't actually add anything to the story, which would be a crossover. So that's the thing. So like when it comes to this, that's fine. But how is this the normal series benefiting from this other than just getting a one-month jump up in sales because it's tying in? It's not adding anything to the actual main story, and it's not helping the actual series itself on a month-to-month basis. So there's no real reason to do it if it's not going to be a crossover. Right. Yeah, I I guess it's just – I mean for me, because I am enjoying this story, it's interesting to see how uh, these effects are being pulled into the other books and like, oh, well, what is Batgirl's – you know, what does her world look like in this gothtopia? Um, But with that scarecrow mask, obviously that was sort of the – like the shocker. How did how did all these heroes get into it? And even at the end of the previous Batgirl twenty seven it says, Does Batgirl escape Gothtopia? Check out issue twenty eight to find out, which was a bit of an over tease because you, we don't even find out anything. Um so I'm hoping that Detective twenty nine uh gives us some sort of hint as to how I mean Batwoman, Batgirl, all these people were sort of wrangled in and now are under uh, Scarecrow's control. But I don't know if it's gonna directly tie from how did Batgirl go from this sudden realization in the ice cream factory to being with uh, Scarecrow. And unfortunately, I thought there was going to be another Batgirl issue with that, but uh, I guess not. So that's kind of a bummer. I was kind of wondering, is Scarecrow's new toxin a good thing? Mm. Other than the fact that he's then using it to completely torture people by using his fear toxin. But the fact that like the crime rate is down, like everyone's happy it's this utopia. Like, there's hardly any crime. The only crimes being committed are the only bad things happening are the suicides, and that is a direct result of 
Scarecrow then going out and using his fear toxin, it's not as we originally thought people starting to kind of realize this is they're living in this fake reality and going going mental and killing themselves it's him torturing them i it may be unethical but is could you see it being a good thing i i i mean i think the whole idea behind his new toxin is that if he gets them if you look at it from a scale of one to ten where if you're normally at a five your average emotional state and like he said about the, you know, if, if you don't have to worry about the day-to-day fears of, you know, how you're going to pay bills or how you're going to do this or how you're going to do that, and you're like at a one because you've got no worries in the world, when he uses his fear toxin, he can obviously get a lot more out of it. The problem is, the only problem with this is when he does this to people, he doesn't actually get anything in return. All he gets is to see them terrified. So, I mean, like, obviously he must get off on them getting terrified, but like, realistically, it's not as if he's like harvesting something from them. And by having them be that much more fearful, he's benefiting in any way from it. So to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense of why they would do that. So, you know, does it do, do I think it's a good idea? I think it's an, uh, it would have been a lot better idea if like the whole reason he was doing this was because he was harvesting something from these people. He was terrifying. Similar to um, the way it was shown in Batman the Dark Knight where he had that little girl and every time she cried, he was using her tears to create something. You know, I I don't know how that could be. Physiologically, science doesn't explain how her tears would have some sort of emotional (laughs) state. But something like that would have made more sense to make it work. I'm not saying it's it's a bad thing. I think it's actually kind of an interesting idea. But the problem is... What is he getting out of it? Like, what what need does he? Why does he need to to get them to this one state so he can terrify them even more? It doesn't. There's no like. There's no like reasoning behind why he's doing this to like to what he's accomplishing. That's the thing. Other than just he can watch people get so terrified that they commit suicide. And okay, I guess I I, I don't know. I, to me, that doesn't seem like it's it's that beneficial to him as a scientist. Do you think um, a better villain for the story could have been Hugo Strange? Well, no, because I think with Hugo Strange, he doesn't have anything to do with chemicals. No, but I meant in general, like their state, their psychological state in doing this. Yeah, I I mean, like psychologically, yeah, it could have been more interesting. But I and I'm also questioned why Hugo Strange wasn't one of the villains that was in that mix of villains in the beginning of the issue when they had all the other villains that were former doctors in some way, I thought it was odd that Hugo Strange wasn't there because he has appeared in the new 52, just in the pages of Red Hood and the Outlaws. So it was odd that he didn't pop up, but I don't think that he would have worked because there would be, there would have been no way to explain how everything became the way it was. And I don't think that he benefits either. I think like, Honestly, this would, I'm gonna and of course I'm going back on what I said, but this would have probably been a, uh, an interesting thing where Scarecrow could have been the main part, but the whole reason they were doing this was because there was some new character associated uh. with Scarecrow that was you know using the 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 change in emotional state to benefit them, 
similar so is, similar to what they did with uh, Penguin and Ogilvy, how Penguin was the main focus, but Ogilvy mm-hmm. kind of spawned out from that. It would have made sense because this was Lehman too. You know what? I, I like this story. Um, do I think that you know this is a good idea? Of course. I mean, any time that there's a lack of violence in a city is great. But if any of these novels, like Hunger Games or... Um, thinking of that new one divergent or i mean thinking way back to the giver uh you know dystopias are things that arise from utopias and that there's no such thing as like a wholly perfect world i mean we can even see like why do we even have heroes if this is a utopia there's still stuff going on stuff that's apart from scarecrow and what he's been doing i mean in 27 Catbird and and Batman end up breaking up. I, I think it was just like a regular sort of robbery or crime. So there's still sort of crime around. It's at an all-time low, but it's not completely gone. And the suicides are obviously up. But, um, yeah, it's a good thing. But you can see that there are still sort of cracks, cracks in what is going on. But, uh, you know... I guess if you, you want to go into all the science of, of everything, then perhaps it doesn't make as much sense. But, I mean, Scarecrow, that is his thing. I mean, he does get some sort of euphoric euphoric pleasure from people's um, fear. And if this is what he wants to do, then this is what he's going to do. But it's also a way to uh, get rid of, to a certain extent, and control heroes. Uh, so right now he's like the, the big bad and the boss of all these people, and he's found a way to control them all. All right, so Detective Comics number 28, I'm going to give a total of three out of five batterings. I agree, three out of five batterings. Like I said, I am really enjoying this. Um, the You know, the tie-ins, take them or leave them. I haven't read Birds of Prey yet, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. But this issue, one of my favorite parts of it, we didn't talk about this, sorry, I'm going on, but one of my favorite sections of it is just the Ivy section. And it really made me look at the character and realize, yeah, I've really started to appreciate this character since the New 52. And to think that, um, you know, Batman figured out why these suicides were happening and using Ivy uh, to help him out, I just thought, like, oh, man, this is really awesome. So this was my favorite book of the bunch, uh, this cast, and I'll give it a 4.5 out of 5. All right, and over on the website, Corbin Poole gave the issue 3.5 out of 5 batterings. That's going to give Detective Comics number 28 a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings. That is all of our books. Let's uh, just cover the few books that we have over on the website for you to check out as far as bat book reviews. Um, There is a review by Corbin Poole, who he... He reviewed Earth 2, number 20. He gave the issue a total of 3.5 out of 5 bad ranks. And the other book that was reviewed was Beware of the Batman, number 4, reviewed by Chris Carnes, and he gave it 4 out of 5 bad ranks. So uh, those two books are the only two books other than the ones we mentioned here that were reviewed. So if uh, just as a quick note, if you're interested in reviewing books on the website, be sure to email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net, and we'll get you linked up with some books. With that, we're going to throw over to John with Bat Books for Beginners.
another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm that English guy, John, and this episode we're taking a look at another four issues from Batman No Man's Land, Volume 2. This episode we are covering Young Justice No Man's Land number 1, Legends of the Dark Knight 120, Robin number 67, and Azrael Agent of the Bat 56. This features writing by Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty, Greg Rucker and Denny O'Neill and Chuck Dixon. It features art by Andy Kuhn, Mark Dieto, Snaz Johnson and Roger Robinson. So is this going to build on the strong foundations from last week's episode? Let's find out as we dig into No Man's Land Volume 2. We open with Lagoon Boy having a massive sub go past. He is attacked by them and we learn that the bad guys are from Cobra. We then move to Superboy, Robin and Impulse in the Young Justice headquarters. We see Robin brooding as Superboy asks him what is wrong. He explains and they point out that there is a loophole in the fact that he can't go to Gotham because it actually allows Young Justice to go there. We then cut to a group of Gothamites trying to enter Robinson Park. Lagoon Boy surfaces in Gotham's river and is intercepted by the police. At the same time, Superboy and Impulse arrive. They head into Robinson Park and take away the weapons from the group of men who have gone into that part. They are in the process of dealing with them when Poison Ivy's assistant arrives. Robin rescues Lagoon Boy and they keep looking for Superboy and Impulse. Robin finds them just in time, saving them from Poison Ivy's assistant. However, the assistant won't release them. However, rescue comes in the shape of Batman, who takes out the assistant. Batman tells them to leave and they do so. However, as they go past, they take time to destroy the giant submarine controlled by Cobra. We start Legends of the Dark Knight picking up where we left off from the detective in the last episode. Batman visit Jim Gordon, but Jim tells him to leave. We then cut back to Oracle's clock tower where he has gathered all the others. Batman tells them to wait and he and Nightwing leave. It then cuts to Helena entering her room. Batman and Nightwing are waiting for her there. They talk and Helena is removed from her mantle as Batgirl. They return to the tower and Batman explains his plan. Robin and he will go to Robinson Park, Nightwing will take out Blackgate and Asriel will take down Nick Scratch. Robin opens with a group of men attacking a two-headed man. Meanwhile, Robin and Nightwing enter the sewer system to enter Gotham. They use sleds to journey along, but they are separated after Nightwing causes a tunnel collapse. However, it turns out that Dick managed to get out of the way, and they carry on by foot. As they move through the tunnel, the two-headed villain hears them and goes to locate them. The two-headed villain finds them and fights with Nightwing and Robin, with Nightwing knocking the villain into the water. Asriel opens with a cowboy scene where Asriel shoots Nick Scratch. It turns out it was a dream and Batgirl brings in a man who has been shot to the hospital where Asriel is. Asriel and Batgirl leave and search for the shooter. They find the man and arrest him. 
Batman arrives and tells Asriel to find Nick Scratch and the Batgirl is to go with him as backup. They search for Scratch and discover a concert that he is hosting. Nick Scratch makes a speech about turning Gotham into a brand new state. He hands out weapons to the crowd. Asriel is in line to get one of these weapons but is spotted and captured and that's where the issue ends. So, overall, I quite liked all of these issues, except for Young Justice, which I will get onto in a second. I thought the artwork in Legends of the Dark Knight was particularly good, and I did love Jim Gordon's reaction to Batman turning up out of the blue. He does effectively just turn up, and he's been away for such a long time that he's Gordon's clearly had his faith shaken in Batman. And I loved that reaction, that there's going to take time, that things aren't smooth, and that Jim actually isn't that happy to see Batman back because he was running things and doing things his own way. And I really, really liked that. I also enjoyed Asriel. Finally, we're going to get, hopefully, a conclusion to this stupid Nick Scratch story, which I think is perhaps one of the worst Batman villains ever imaginable simply because he has no real plan or no real point to him however i like the interaction between asriel and batgirl i thought really that this is the focus of the main issue it's not about nick scratch and about his activities and his desire to turn gotham into a big state it's much more about asriel and his storyline and how he's progressing and dealing with being Azrael. And all those points were covered and I thought it was rather interesting. I especially liked as well the dream sequence at the beginning because it gives a real suggestion of how Azrael sees himself and how he wants to be seen as a knight in shining armour, the good cowboy riding into town and ridding the town of the bad guys. And I thought that was really interesting. I did enjoy the artwork in it as well. I thought Robin was rather good. Not a lot happened, to be honest. It just gave the backstory of how Nightwing and Robin entered into Gotham. But I did kind of enjoy it. It was enjoyable for the sake of being enjoyable in a way. Young Justice, on the other hand, was perhaps the most atrocious comic that I have ever read in a long, long time. I didn't really understand the point. Superboy and Impulse are so irritating, the way they're written. I don't understand why anybody would think anybody talked like that. The fact that Robin seemed to be almost portrayed weirdly in a kind of brooding, over-the-top manner just didn't fit in with the character. We've seen the character handled rather well with Chuck Dixon writing him in Robin and I can't honestly believe that Young Justice was ever actively written by Chuck Dixon who's the credited writer along with Scott Beatty it just doesn't seem like this would be something that he would willingly write but Apparently I'm wrong, and he did actually write it. It's just full of flaws and really irritating characters. They are essentially incompetent and unbelievably stupid. They just ran into danger, just ran to Gotham and decided that that was what they were going to do, that they're going to try and help and get involved. Without any kind of thought, without any kind of planning, they just went there. 
and it just doesn't really seem that great. They were effectively useless when they turned up anyway. They managed to get themselves captured by Poison Ivy's assistant, who was in the process of beating them up until Robin arrived and saved the day. And it just had no point to it. Fortunately, it seems that this is pretty much a standalone issue. So for the sake of my sanity, I am going to decide that this is out of continuity and just an alternative kind of world where irritating characters exist. I don't feel I can describe how annoying these characters were. And that was the major issue with it, was the characters and their interaction between each other. It just made me puzzle over how this was ever vaguely successful and written at all. But that said, I think the other three issues, Legends of the Dark Knight, Robin and Azrael Agent of the Bat, are highly, highly, highly worth picking up. These are really, really well-written, interesting issues with good character development and great artwork as well, more importantly. So... I'm going to give this 4 out of 5 Batarangs. I'd be giving this 5 out of 5 if Young Justice was worth anything, but unfortunately it's not, and I wouldn't advise picking it up unless you are a complete completionist. So that's everything for this episode. Next time we'll be taking a look at Azrael Agent of the Bat number 57, Batman Chronicles 17, and Nightwing 35. So make sure you pick up those issues for next time as I'll be reviewing them. So, once again, I've been John. Thanks very much for listening. And now I'll hand you back over to Dustin and the Guy. All right, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you check out the individual feed for Bat Books for Beginners, taking a look at all of the past stories leading up to the current story of Batman No Man's Land. With that, we're going to jump straight into our listener Q&As. <laughs> Boy, did you get a wrong number. Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! Just a couple of different ones to go over. First off, uh, B-Side says, You guys are my favorite podcast right now and, and almost completely responsible for getting me back into comics. I picked up, I picked back up on Batman around issue number 23 and promptly got started reading everything I'd missed since I stopped back in the 90s. I just wanted to say thanks so much for doing what you do and putting out such great, awesome content. Please keep it up. Well, thank you very much, B-Sides. We appreciate the kind remarks. All right, so that's all the comments we have on the website. As far as emails go, the first one comes from Paul. He says, Hi, guys, I've been listening to the podcast for the best part of a year now and just want to say how much I really enjoy each episode. I share your confusion about DC's timeline chronology regarding Forever Evil, Arkham War, and Talon. In Bane's standalone issue for Villains Month, he is sent leading his army into the harbor of Gotham, and then in issue number one of Arkham, he breaks into Blackgate to begin his war over Gotham. However, in issue number one of Forever Evil, he is seen being spoken to by the Secret Society at the remains of the Justice League Watchtower, where he is in the presence of many inmates of Arkham that he goes on to fight in Arkham War. When this is combined with the confusion generated from Talon, Arkham War's mismatched storylines that you have already spoken about, it just becomes really confusing. Bane's presence in Forever Evil can be explained by readers 
but is not explained by DC, and I feel that this is becoming a real issue for fans. I agree with you that DC are simply creating all of these links so that readers buy more books, but doesn't it also strike you that many of the writers at DC are not in collaboration or aware of what's going on in the other books? Or is it just the opposite? Are they aware that are they aware and are including all these links with the expectation that the readers make the connection? Many thanks, Paul. Well, Paul, I think the big thing with a lot of these books, I mean, going back to the beginning, this is going back to uh, what's uh, October when this all started with with the uh, the end of Talon, the last issue of Talon, which happened in August, and then we had the beginning of Arkham War and Forever Evil happening in the beginning of October. I think the big thing is I don't know that the writers have the collaboration that you would expect them to have. Um, in my mind, it's the editor's jobs to to build these connections so that it makes sense. I'm not saying that everything needs to be explained inside of an issue. Um, as much as I love sometimes for everything to be explained, I'm not saying that it all has to be explained. But it does need to make sense so that if you are filling in the gaps as a reader, you should be able to fill in the gaps without having to you know, scratch your brain for multiple months as, as we've done in, in some cases with some of the series. The thing is with with this specific storyline, it doesn't feel like there's there's actually a whole lot of connection. Um, I still to this day don't understand how Talon went from focusing on Bane at Santa Prisca to not having to do anything with Bane and switching straight over to a story dealing with Batman teaming with Calvin Rose. It didn't make any sense. It, not to mention in the pages of or in in the confines of Gotham City, nonetheless while Bane was supposed to be on his way to um, Gotham City to to have everything that happened in Arkham War. I don't know if somehow it's going to be explained when Forever Evil ends. It doesn't make a lot of sense of how they have explained it. The only somewhat explanation we have is that knowing that some of the events that have happened in some of the books, such as Nightwing, for example, where we know that Next month will then lead into the events of Forever Evil. After issue 29 of Nightwing, we kind of jump to the beginning of Forever Evil, even though it was about six months ago. We know that that's going to happen. So maybe the idea was that this was also supposed to happen, and there's supposed to be some jumps in some of these other books. I don't know that Talon had a real direction. Um, Maybe the idea was to lead into the events of Arkham War. But I think that the, there's a huge disconnect as to far as what happens in the end of one story to the next story. And I don't know that there was actually a lot of collaboration between Tomasi and Tinian on that story. Um, as far as Forever Evil, written by Jeff Johns, I don't think that has anything to do with the other stuff that's happening. Yeah, the, Bane does meet with the Secret Society, but I think for the most part, Jeff Johns does what he does. And then the the tie-in series that go in with the events and things like that. I think that that stuff happens outside of what he's doing. Um, that's not to say that he doesn't have some sort of input on it, but I don't think that people are saying, okay, how can we match this to this when it comes to a lot of these mini series um, that tie into the events? I just don't see it because I don't, when I look at the books, it doesn't come across like that. All right. So the next uh, email we have comes from Sam. He's the person who sent over or asked us about the timeline in the last episode. He actually sent us the link to the timeline. Now I I've reviewed this. Um, it's basically Batman, the new 52. And it's like a timeline starting about 11 years ago. 
and leading up to year seven now in current time. The the problem is I was looking over this and for the most part, it's it, it kind of makes sense with certain things. Um, that's not to say that some of it doesn't make sense, but when you look at the, the timeline itself, there is a, a number of different things that they show um, when they don't reference anything, any of the other previous events before the New 52 other than Nightfall. That's the only one that they really mention outside of uh, Damien being uh, conceived. I think for the most part, looking over this, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I, I found the website, or, or Sam actually sent me the link to the website that posted this. I looked around online to try to find this exact same timeline posted by DC anywhere else, like on the official Batman Facebook page, on their website, and I cannot find it anywhere. Um, the website that posted this was uh, Flipping Geeks, and they posted this back in July of 2013. And honestly, I'm not saying that somebody may, you know, created this to explain it or whatnot. I'm all I'm saying is I cannot find this exact same image any on anywhere officially from DC. So I don't know where it came from. Mm. Um, so I don't know how how true it is when it comes to DC doing, you know, saying what they're saying. Um, obviously, a lot of the images that are used are all images from the New 52, so that's entirely possible. But for the most part, there's there it's there's nothing in it. There, there's no way I can confirm that this is actually DC's timeline of how everything has taken place. That being said, there's you can't sit here and use this because it's unconfirmed. But not only just because that, but you can't use this timeline as what is and isn't included in the New Fifty Two based off of that. There's no way of knowing for sure. Obviously they've made references to past things happening like no man's land has been referenced. They've mentioned, or they've referenced, uh, nightfall, but for the most part, you can't just use that as the only things that exist. There's never going to probably be a complete, this is what happened when it comes to comics, regardless of whether it's the Batman universe or anything else, there's probably nothing that's actually going to say, here's an exact timeline of how everything takes place. Because if they did that, they'd be stuck on sticking with that. And we know how comic companies, not just DC, are about trying to change things up. That's why we see characters die and then return less than a year later. It's just, that's what happens. They try to, they're coming up with ways to create new stories and sometimes the only way to do that is to retell old stories in a new way. So when it comes to the timeline, I don't, you know, there's no way of saying exactly what is and what isn't or what has and hasn't actually existed. Right. I mean, I think it's a fairly good reference point, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's irritating that some of it does and some of it doesn't exist. It would be easier if they said all of it happened or none of it rather than this kind of mix and match and then some writers will bring something in and others will say it never happened but uh it, I, I at this point i think most people are just going by what stories they enjoy and thinking right i'll count that as in continuity or right that never happened uh you know the timeline looks <laughs> it looks good you know from a reader i there are some things i i honestly take issue with especially um, with Batgirl, obviously, and this whole chip business and just things that we don't know and I think that are taken for granted. Now, I will say that there is a website um, that I that I found a while back called The Real Batman Chronology Project. Um, the, it's a really, really 
great website. I suggest anybody check it out. Um, basically, this the, the, the creator behind the website, he has taken multiple different versions of Batman and used things in the comics and similar to what I was doing with uh, the, the quotes and things like that. Uh, it, the, the person who created the site is Colin Culture. That's his name. Um, basically, the the site took a bunch of different versions, Silver Age, Bronze Age, Modern Age, uh, the New 52 Batman even uh, more recently, and they've created different timelines as to, as to how to explain how everything works out. Uh, when it comes to the New 52 one, which is uh, – he's been working on the previous versions, the Modern Age and the Golden Age – for a much longer time but uh the whole point is he's created a bunch he has done a ton of research with the comics and stuff like that the reality is he has a lot more time on his hands than i do number one he's done a really great job so there's no reason to redo the uh the 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 same thing he's done he's done a really good job i i suggest you check it out it's the real batman chronology project.com is the name of the website and you'll see all the different versions he has the New Age Batman um, is is what he classifies as the post Flashpoint to uh, current. So it's it's a very interesting take. He has done an amazing job laying out how everything works. Um, specifically, focuses on zero year years one through ten or years uh, eleven and twelve the past and future. So, I mean, like it's a really great job. I suggest you check it out. That's the best way to, to make sense of the timeline. And that is actually all the listener Q and A's we have. So just want to remind everybody, if you want to leave your listener questions and get your questions or comments uh, answered or talked about on the next episode, be sure to email us at podcast at the or leave your comments in the comment section below the podcast post over on the website. With that, that is everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts we have to offer. We have new episodes of Back of the Oracle, The Batman Universe Taking Flight, Bat Fans, the normal podcast. There's new episodes of the commentary, and there's probably a new episode going to be dropping of Robin Everyone Loves Drake podcast very shortly, so be sure to check all those out. Also, uh, it's been a while, and I'm going to just throw it out there. We are still looking for a number of people to add to the website um, in all sorts of capacities. Uh, I suggest that you head over to the website and take a look at the banner that says Join TBU Staff. Click on it, and uh, you, you'll, it'll give you a little bit of an information as far as what we're looking for for the website. Uh, we are looking to staff up pretty significantly over the next couple, uh, over the next six months. So I suggest if you are interested in any way, shape, or form with being involved with the Batman Universe, you take a look at the banner, click on it, and you'll get a nice little explanation of what we're looking for. In addition to that, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman Universe. Also, be sure to leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Joe. And this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.
have a nice day.